challenge. Christ. Choices. I said, boy, all of those things are, are amazing. And I said to him, that sounds like it could be a sermon. And I neglected to write them down, so when I contacted him and said, uh, can you remind me of those? And he texted them back to me. He said, so when are you, gonna, when are you speaking on this? <laughs> and I said, well, I'm speaking the 28th of November. So in through the door this morning, he and his wife appeared. And I had to say to him, this might not be what you expect. Because <laughs> the focus really isn't on the CH words, although they're kind of an integral part to it. Okay, there's some reason this isn't on. There we go. Are we up with the slides? Apparently. They're not on that thing there, but that's okay. But we'll see what happens. Let's pray before we start. I think it would be a good thing. Heavenly Father, I just pray this morning that uh, that what I'm saying would not be wrapped up in my voice or in anything that has to do with me, but let it be your truth. And because it would be your truth, I pray that your power through the Holy Spirit would touch us. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you. In the name of Jesus we ask, amen. So can you remember going through a time uh, where you were experiencing something for the first time? What, what, are you, what are you filled with when that happens? You never did this before. Isn't it uncertainty? uncertainty uh, when I asked myself that question my thoughts turned to two experiences I had that were terrifying and exhilarating at the same time both of them took place in amusement parks the first one was at Kennywood Park near Pittsburgh I was about nine years old and I was finally tall enough to ride the jackrabbit. How many of you have been to Kennywood and have ridden the jackrabbit? That thing was built in the 20s. It cost $50,000. If you would build it today, it would be $8 million. Ridiculous. But this would be my first grown-up roller coaster ride. I had heard stories about this. That is the double dip. I had even walked past this a few times and I'd seen the faces of those who were on it. They were a mixture of delight and terror. But none of that prepared me to actually get on that thing the first time. On most roller coasters... The train leaves the station and starts up a long, slow incline. 
And if you're on one of these older wooden ones, you're clacking away till you get to the top. And you ease over that hill and plummet down that first side. The jackrabbit doesn't do that. You just glide out of the station, around the bend to the left, and go right down the hill. They're able to do that because Kennywood's built on a hill. So they don't have to climb up things. So you just, I mean, there's plenty of hills there. Just follow the contour of the hill, and you can have all, all the downward stuff you want. If then, though, you have to go up a hill. So you go you get down, you go up the hill, you go around the bend, get down another hill, and then you start up to the high level. You're not carrying enough momentum to get up there, so you get to have your clacking anyway. And up you go. I was holding on pretty tight, I'll tell you. And according to my father, my face was pretty white. We reach the summit, and you go around the bend, and then you come into the double dip. And this is what it looks like from the sea. It was, it was terrifying. To a nine-year-old, it was terrifying. I'm not sure if I screamed, but I know one thing. I was not letting go of that bar. <laughs> you hit that middle thing, and you fly up off the seat, and when you're nine, you think, I'm going right out into outer space. I grabbed a hold of that thing, and I'm sure my eyes were as big as saucers. Somehow I survived. I, I, I think I actually finished the ride laughing. It was a, the beginning of my love of coasters, It was a, and it's a love I still have today. Even though I'm older, I still like getting on those things. The other experience took place at another amusement park called Rainbow Garden. It was a smaller park near White Oak, Pennsylvania. Uh, and it was on this ride. The Wild Mouse. How many of you have ever ridden on this? Okay. I was probably about the same age, uh, but I went on this thing without any hesitation because I was a roller coaster veteran by that time. And this... This doesn't have like a train of cars. There's just this one little car like that, right? And the first climb was typical. You go up slow and all that kind of thing. But when you get to the top, you don't go down a hill. You just kind of stay at the top. You see how that's set up? You know, you're just going like around and just like this, back and forth, back and forth. Well, I was unprepared because... Because the engineering on this puts the front wheels way back from the front of the car. So when you come to a turn, like the ones that are all across the top of this, you are sure you're going off the track and plummeting to your death. It was terrifying on a whole different level. I mean, I was glad to be done with that thing. I didn't you know, mustered up enough courage to go back on a few more times in my life, but it was, I'll never forget that, that first experience. Uncertainty. It was laced with uncertainty. It's unsettling at best when things are uncertain. 
we don't know what's coming. We don't know what's coming. And regardless of the intensity of that uncertainty, um, uncertainty is going to bring with it one thing that is a requirement of all of us, and that is change. That's the C-H word. Every day, uncertainty comes to us because we don't know what the day is going to hold. So we have an idea. You know, if we're going to work, we have an idea what's going to happen. If we have a plan, we have an idea what's going to happen. But there's going to be some kind of change as we respond to whatever the uncertainty is. Change is a central part of our life. It, it, it comes to all of us, and it comes to all of us every day. The very word change is an instability. But its presence is constant. We can be sure when that new day begins that there's going to be changes. How we respond to the change is the other CH word, is our choice. And we make dozens, even hundreds or thousands of choices every day. We wake up. How many woke up this morning? Look at that, every single hand. And if not hands, nods, we all woke up. What happens when we wake up? Well, we start. Do we get up or do we lay there? Uh, we decide what to wear. We decide what to eat. We decide when to leave. We decide what route we're taking. We decide where we're going. We decide when we're going. We decide how we're going. We decide what to say to our coworkers. We decide to, what to say to our family members or to anybody else that we would happen to meet. We decide what to do. Should we watch TV? Should we read a book? Should we do a puzzle? Should we make a phone call? Should we go visit someone? Should we spend time with God? Should we pray? We make those changes constantly. And some changes require choices that are more difficult than other changes. And choosing the best response is not always clear. And we sit in uncertainty. Waiting for the fog to dissipate so that we can discern what to say or do next. And that is unsettling. Waiting is unsettling. It's uncomfortable. It's challenging. And that's a CH word. Change and choice are common. But as Christians, we don't have to be paralyzed by this. We don't have to be paralyzed by the fear of the unknown. We don't have to worry about food prices, about gas prices, about mask mandates, about laws and policies that seem to push agendas that we disagree with and things that we consider to be immoral and wrong? Well, how can we not worry about those things? How can we see them and not worry about them? We can do it by uh, grabbing a hold of what we've been talking about all morning already, what we've been singing about. Hope. And why can we do that? 
we serve a God who does not change. Who does not change. Today, we begin a new season in the liturgical calendar. It's the season of Advent. In Advent, we look forward. We look forward to. What do we look forward to? Well, we look forward to celebrating the birth of Jesus. We sing songs about that. We sang some songs about that this morning. It's a season when we're looking forward. Jesus has come. God with us. Emmanuel. Our Messiah. The birth of Christ is something to celebrate after all. We're not... You know, calendar-wise, I'm not sure how it ended up in December. Probably didn't happen then. But to me, that's a minor point. To me, the important thing is to recognize that it did happen at all. And that's a miracle. God becoming man? It's one of faith's great mysteries. And Paul tries to describe it a little bit when he talks about Jesus' mindset in Philippians chapter 2, when he says this, who, meaning Jesus, in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Now your translation may not say that. It may say something like, who did not think equality with God was something to be grasped, held on to. But rather, he made himself nothing. Not very proficient at turning the page here. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Why was that necessary? Did you ever ask yourself that question? Why was that necessary? Because the first choice that came to man took place in a garden, didn't it? And Adam and Eve made a choice. And they made a choice to respond to what they could see. A fruit. And what they could hear, words from a serpent, instead of what they couldn't see, which was God himself. That's why Jesus became a man. So we could see with our own eyes and hear with our own ears. And John refers to that, I believe it, it in the might be in, in the first epistle that he wrote where he says what we have seen and touched and, and been with and heard and walked and experienced all of those things and in his gospel he says and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and dwelt among us 
Jesus, the Son of God, became a man, like us, like you, like me. And we look forward to celebrating that birth. And in spite of the relentless and pervasive commercialization of Christmas, we still strive to focus on the coming of Christ as the central and most important part of this holiday season. In Advent, we look to the birth of Jesus, and we also look to the return of Jesus. This is that second coming that we've been hearing about in the pastor's last series. It represents the basis for our hope. Just before he ascended into heaven, the disciples asked Jesus if he was going to restore the kingdom to Israel. His response was that they would receive power to become his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Last week, Pastor Tim pointed us to that conversation found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And Jesus' very words are recorded in that verse. And in the next verses, we see the promise of his return. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid hid him from their sight. They were looking up, intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. It's his return that we're anticipating now because he already came once. We know he came. That birth happened. It's a matter of history. So what, what, why is he coming back? Why is it necessary to come a second time? One word, restoration. His plan is to set all things right. To set all things right. That was God's intention all along. And because he doesn't change, it's still his intention. And because that's what he wants, we can depend on that and have hope. In Job chapter 11, We read this. You will be secure because there is hope. You will look about you and take your rest in safety. Is there any one of us who wants to feel unsafe? Is there any one of us that wants that uncertainty around us? No. We want security. Hope brings that. Does God require anything from us to receive this hope? After all, grace is free. And it's the only way to come into relationship with God. Grace is the door by which we enter. And then it's His Holy Spirit that speaks to us and leads us toward Him. We find ourselves wanting to know Him more wanting to spend time with Him, wanting to be like Him. 
So, so is anything required for us? Well, that's an easy question to answer. How many of you are living perfectly? How many of you wake every day to a day of perfect peace? Perfect organization. Where everything goes right. Where no one says or does anything that's upsetting. Where uncertainty is absent from your life. Hmm. I see no hands up. I see no hands up. That's what's necessary. Repent. John the Baptist said that a million times. Jesus opened his ministry after his baptism. That was the first word out of his mouth. What is that? It's willfully, willfully turning away from what direction you're going and turning toward God. Well, well, I, I, I mean, I have a relationship with Christ. I'm saved. Good. Are you doing everything right? Are you ever having vengeful thoughts? Do you ever want to get even with someone else? Do you ever think something you shouldn't be thinking? Do your eyes ever wander? Do you ever want something someone else has? We're a, we're a mess still. Saved, yes. But still a mess. And that choice, that choice of repentance, is before all of us. Thank goodness that the Holy Spirit inspires us to do it. In our class this morning, our Kingdom Builders Sunday School class, we talked about this. We talked about repentance. We talked about how do you know you need to? There's a simple answer. You're not at peace. There's something in you that is unsettled. There's something in you that is uncertain. Sometimes you don't even know what it is. But God will tell you if you ask him. And then if you shut up long enough to listen, He'll tell you. Now, what you choose to do about it is your business. Let's back up in that Job passage and look at this. Yet, these are the verses right before the one from before. Yet, if you devote your heart to him and stretch out your hands to him, if you put away the sin that's in your hands and allow no evil to dwell in your tent, then... Free of fault, you will lift up your face and you will stand firm and without fear. You will surely forget your trouble, recalling it only as water's gone by. Life will be brighter than noonday and darkness will become like morning. You will be secure because there is hope. You will look about you and take your rest in safety. Do you, did you catch the beginning of that, those passages? There was that little two-letter word there. If. 
You know what that says to me? It says I better be on guard. And if I see something that's wrong, or if I've got unrest in me, that, that I know I've stepped off that path, I need to step back on it. Then things line up. Then the blessings can come. Would, would you agree that these are uncertain times? Maybe more uncertain than, than we've experienced in a while. But this is the truth. And this is the main point for today. Our hope in uncertainty is found in Christ alone. Our hope in uncertainty is found in Christ alone. Anybody here ever been depressed? You can put your hand up because there will be a lot of us. You don't have to say, oh man, I don't want anyone to know I've ever been depressed. That's like, I need a psychologist or something. If you've been depressed, put your hand up. Yeah, we, we've, prep, we've mostly all been depressed. Maybe not the clinical depression that requires therapy and, and seeing a doctor, but we all know what it's like to feel down. You know what the antidote for that is? Hope. Hope. And it's interesting. It's not like Excedrin. You take, the, take it and the ticker is going on and 15 minutes later you're better. Hope doesn't work that way. Hope seeps in. And you have to remind yourself of this truth. My hope is in Christ. He is still the same. God is still on the throne. I don't know what's coming, but I know who knows. Jesus, the one promised, the Messiah, came to save the world. That's the good news. He came to give us this hope. The gospel is about that. Through him, a Jewish rabbi, salvation came to all men. Paul, Paul talks about that. And talks about why that good news should be something that we is central to us every day. And when someone says, are you a Christian? What should your answer be? Yeah. No, it shouldn't be that. It should be yes. Look what Paul writes in Romans. For I am not ashamed... I'm not ashamed of the gospel because I know, says Paul, that it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First a Jew, because they were the ones that God chose. And, but then to the Gentiles, which is anybody who's not a Jew. That's a great statement. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. It's like a statement I make. I can't eat 
unless I'm alone or with somebody. That's what Paul's saying here. Salvation is for you. If you're a Jew, you get first dibs. But if you're a Gentile, there's plenty for you too. And with salvation comes a relationship with the God who doesn't change. And the God who doesn't change means that we can stand on that immovable, dependable, reliable power, no matter how deep the uncertainty is. No matter how deep. Gas prices go to $6 a gallon, he's still on the Buy a loaf of bread for five bucks, he's still on the throne. Get a gas bill to heat your home that is in triple digits and the first one isn't a one, he's still on the throne. His whole word is full of promises that point to this. One of them is a passage in Ezekiel 34. And I don't have this up on the slide. I just want you to listen to it. I'm going to be reading from the 23rd verse. If you want to dial it up in your Bible and read along, you're certainly welcome to do that. And maybe, maybe put a mark there. Because this is a passage that I just discovered. I mean, I'd read it before because I'd read the, read the Bible through, but discovering what's in there is more than about reading the Bible through. It's taking time to look and see what he's saying. This is God speaking. This is the word of the Lord coming to Ezekiel. I, meaning God, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant, David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Who's he referring to here? He can't be referring to David, right? I mean, he's dead. But it was common to, to make a reference like that to talk about what would come through that lineage. And it was through that lineage that Jesus came. It was through that lineage that he was born. And I believe that this passage points to him. Let me keep reading. I will make a covenant of peace with them and rid the land of savage beasts so that they may live in the wilderness and sleep in the forests in safety. I will make them and the places surrounding my hill a blessing. I will send down showers in season. There will be showers of blessing. The trees will yield their fruit and the ground will yield its crops. The people will be secure in their land. They will know that I am the Lord. When I break the bars of their yoke and rescue them from the hands of those who enslaved them, they will no longer be plundered by the nations, nor will wild animals devour them. They will live in safety 
and no one will make them afraid. I will provide for them a land renowned for its crops, and they will no longer be victims of famine in the land or bear the scorn of nations. Then they will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them, and that they, the Israelites, are my people, declares the Sovereign Lord. You are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Sovereign Lord. Now you could hear that and you could say, well, wait a minute, he's talking to the Israelites. Don't you remember what Paul said? It's, it comes to the Israelites, but it comes through the Israelites to us who are not Jewish. We are grafted in. Jesus is our shepherd. And he will usher in an age where there will be zero uncertainty. No questions about the cost of living. No questions about the spread of disease. No questions about a bad medical diagnosis. There will be no more hunger, no more sickness, no more disease. In the words of Andre Crouch, who I ended up quoting in Sunday school class this morning, different words though, there's no more crying there. No more dying. An age that we call the messianic era, an age we long for. Because the gospel has come to us through Israel, we've been grafted into that family of God. And that is the safety bar to grab onto on the roller coaster that we call life. 1,000, imagine it, 1,000 years Christ in charge. No recount. Perfect justice. Perfect peace. And for those who accept the offer that Jesus extends to everyone, those who respond to his invitation will get to experience that and to live forever beyond the Imagine every promise, every promise that he makes in Psalm 23 is what we live by. It comes true every day. When do we hear that psalm? When's the last time you heard Psalm 23? Probably at a funeral. It's a popular funeral reading because there's comfort in it. But it's not meant for funerals. It's meant as a statement of hope, a statement of faith, a statement of assurance. Okay, we did that one already. I'm 
I'm going to come down here so I can see this because it's not up on the screen back there. Let's read this together. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Can you imagine waking up every day and that's what's true? That's what you're living. There's no uncertainty there. There's no question. There's just Him, His faithfulness, and His love. The shepherd cares for his sheep. If you want to really understand this psalm, there was a book written a long time ago by a guy named Philip Keller. It's called, A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. I read it. I learned a lot about sheep. They're dumb. If, you don't, if they don't drink out of still water, they try to drink out of moving water, they can drown. You'd think they'd know how to do that. But they're dumb. They, they have to have a shepherd. Otherwise, they're dead meat. They're not going to live. They are inherently an animal domesticator that requires attention. The shepherd cares for the sheep. Jesus is our good shepherd. And he is faithful. He does not lie. He does not change. And that is the truth. Are we living with hope? Are we living in fear? Is uncertainty washing over us? The change is coming so fast, we don't know what choices to make. Are we living lives that reflect what God alone can do? We will all fail in this unless we stand on the truth that God is still and will always be on the throne. Our dependence on Him, especially in times of uncertainty, is essential. Our hope in uncertainty is found in Christ alone. I, I want to ask Sharon to come up here for a minute. <clears throat> and I would like us to sing a song 
that we've referenced several times already. Michelle referenced it without knowing that she was, perhaps. And it's the, it's the old hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And when we sing this this morning, I want you to pay attention to what the words are saying. You know, an old hymn like this becomes automatic and we don't think about the words. But these statements are true and powerful and something that, that we, have to, we have to remind ourselves about. Sometimes our world caves in or it looks like it's going to. It's not a surprise to him. And he's there for us because he's faithful. Let's sing together. Oh. Great is, great is thy faithfulness, O oh God, my Father, is the beginning. I don't know where that slide went. Let's try it. Ready? Great is thy faithfulness, O oh God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy
we sing that hymn, we sing of the unchanging nature of God. We sing of His love. Sing of His compassion, of His mercy, sing of His love. And we remind each other of His forgiveness and of His faithfulness to give us strength and to be our hope. I'm going to ask the rest of the worship team to come back up. And, and while they come, I want to invite you to purpose yourself as we enter the Advent season. To go beyond celebrating the birth of Jesus. To go beyond looking at just that. But to look, look for His return. May we all remember the characteristics declared by the prophet Isaiah are all true and will be seen and experienced by everyone when that glorious reign begins. I'm conducting a performance of Handel's Messiah this month, or next month. And I've always appreciated that. But I've always appreciated it for the music. Handel was a genius in his own way and God inspired him to write some wonderful stuff. But this time, it's different for me. Because I know that what we're singing is God's word. It's God's truth. And when those words come that Handel took right from Isaiah chapter 9, it means, it means something bigger and, and better than just music. And this is the truth where hope is rooted. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. The Mighty God. everlasting father the prince of peace and of this of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end he will reign on david's throne and over his kingdom establishing it upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you who described yourself as you passed by your servant Moses, and inspired him to write that description in your word. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, 
the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, and who, inspired by your Holy Spirit, the author of Hebrews, to write, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We praise you. Father, give us a vision of Christ coming again on the clouds. Place in our hearts a zealous anticipation of the millennial reign where our wonderful but broken world full of broken people like us will experience the life that you intended for us all along. And let that anticipation inspire us to live as though that day was swiftly approaching, extending compassion and love where it's needed and giving it even when it's rejected. For in so doing, we will be able to live in hope in spite of uncertainty. For we have responded to your offer of freedom, healing, and life. And we pledge now to step into those gifts as your Spirit leads us. To repent from our way. To walk in yours in the way that you have prepared for us. We ask it all in the name of the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And through whom we come to you. surprise that we're going to close with the song in Christ alone. Stand if you're able and join us.
benediction from Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus pioneer and perfecter of faith for the joy set before him he endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary so that you will not lose heart therefore Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. May He bless each and every one of you. Have a wonderful week. And remember, He is still on the throne. Thank you.